23 years ago on this day, Kevin Barker made his MLB debut with the Milwaukee Brewers. Went two for five with an RBI. Brewers beat the Astros 6-5 at the Astrodome. You were batting seventh and playing first base. Seventh? So it says seventh. You, you and Bo. I should have been hitting cleanup. You and Bo. You and Bo hitting I seventh. I was the number one prospect. So I will be doing some tooting. How the hell can you be the number a, one prospect and hitting seventh? How the hell can you be a number one prospect and hit seventh? Well, I think they had Jeff Jenkins and Jeremy Burnett's and Marquise Grissom. So that was... They had, they, had, they had some guys up front there that had earned the right to. The Astrodome is pretty. That's a cool place to make your debut. It was dark and left. It though. is. It was, yeah, it it's was a dark. A, I mean, I didn't really care where I was playing because it was a lot, lot better than, a lot better than anywhere in the were. minors. But, yeah, it was. It was dark and dingy, but it's still the it Astrodome. It was. It's the big leagues. It was one of the eight wonders of the world at one point. It was. Anyhow, 23 years ago. Now look at me. Now look at you. <laughs> still in the big leagues. How about that? How about that? Is Blair and Barker for a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy you say Kikuchi Freedom Day. Well, maybe not that. Ooh. The uh, Blue Jays beating the Yankees 9-2 last night at Yankee Stadium. Lots of boos for the Yankees. That's always it a good... happens all the time. It, it, yeah, I know, but it's always a kind of... A, the first game of a series hearing it is... is it, it kind of reinforces kind of reinforces things. Do you think it means the same thing to players that get booed all the time who are, what are they, nine games up in first place in the American League? I, I think and I'm surprised. Second best team in the American League, and they still I, get booed all the time? I, I'm surprised at Estevan Florial. I, I would I would bet he was be a, would be a little shocked that he was booed in what a second major league game after, after striking out. Look, uh, where do you want to start with this game? George Springer in the lineup, five for five. Please, somebody, steal his gloves. Mm-hmm. Steal his gloves. Don't want him anywhere near the field. I just want him standing at the plate. Five for five for George Springer. Jose Barrio, six and two-thirds, six hits, nine strikeouts, one walk. His third highest strikeout total this year. Uh, ran into a glitch in the third inning, walked the number eight hitter, hit Floreal, the number nine hitter, then made an adjustment. And Kevin, I want to start. I want to start talking about Jose Brios because this is a guy who's not been good on the road this year. You know, we've talked about the difference between road Jose Brios, mm-hmm. home Jose Brios. You pointed something out very early. You saw a mechanical adjustment that he made, and you've talked a lot about how it it it, it has kind of puzzled you that a guy who has pitched as many innings as he has in the majors, mm-hmm. is as good an athlete as he is, and is as stays as healthy as he has stayed, you were surprised at how he didn't seem able to make in-game, in-game adjustments, or I should say how it was difficult for him to do it. So talk about the adjustment you saw last night from Barrios, and what did it mean? to what he was able to do to the Yankees. Well, it's less movement. I mean, it's it's real simple. It's it's not I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, when when he's going bad, he has a lot of hand movement. Like when he starts his hand, his hands sort of go with his little side saddle movement that he has that he wants to gain momentum. That's how he does it. He, right? It's when he starts, his hands start. They start moving. Well, last night if you noticed, he was more starting. Now he would sort of do that thing where he was a little awkward with his lower half, and he would start, you know, a little off. But his upper half was facing towards the target, and his hands didn't move through his windup, which is 
you know, that that's just simplifying it. That's easier to get to the break of the hands. That means the ball coming out of the glove. And that's repeating, getting to the arm slot over and over and over again. And for a guy that relies on movement, wants to locate, or relies a lot on arm side, you know, you want to start it. You don't want it to end up non-competitive, so you want it more – you know, starting that, that, you know, a way to a righty into a, a, or let me say that again, a way to a lefty into a righty, you want it to start in a certain place, but you don't want it to break so much that it's non-competitive and good hitters can lay off it. You have to have repetitive mechanics, and to be able to do that, you simplify it. You don't have as much movement, and he did that last night. And you mentioned the third inning. It's That's a prime example of, you know, most of the year, that inning would have killed him. Even with mm-hmm. the lead that they had, mm-hmm. I know he gave what the, the first three guys reached. He made the error on the DJ LeMayhew, little bloop right. thing to, in between first there. You know, no, most of the time, if not all the time, he makes that play. That would have just destroyed him in the past, on the road especially. But you could tell. Yeah, you could tell that he sort of stepped off and, and took a breath and, and just said, I've done this. Between starts, I know what it what I was doing. I was too quick. I was opening up too soon. Whatever it was to hit a guy, to be non-competitive, to the eight-hole hitter, I can fix it. I can get it back on track, and then you can take off that way. And this is exactly what they need. A four-game series, you need the first guy to set the tone. Yep. And that's exactly what – and the first guy in the lineup, too. He also set uh, the tone. Uh, Jose Brio said after the game, and you know, keeping track of it, uh, through his first three at-bats, how many at-bats did Judge have? Sorry, in his three at-bats against Aaron Judge, 10 of 16 pitches were curves. And one of the things that uh, Barrios talked about after the game was he relied on his secondary pitches against this lineup. Uh, I, he, he didn't say he relied a little more than usual, but he felt good at the secondary pitches. Velocity was up in all his pitches. And I guess maybe most importantly for him, his spin rate was up on every one of his pitches, which would suggest, I think, Kevin, that he he did feel re- he. He felt really good with with all his pitches. The mechanical change, the release point out front, the landing in the same spot, the landing closed where everything is in tune, matched up. You know, one's not in front of the other where your hand's catching up and a lot of non-competitive pitches. He misses a lot arm side, up and away. That's because the front side opens up too soon. The arm's playing catch up. That's the ball going way out here. Instead of catching it out front where you can control it, have it moving the way you want it to move. For me, it had late giddy up. Mm-hmm. It hadn't had late giddy up in a long time. Like you could even tell, let the hitter tell you that. You the can see. Uh, absolutely. You can see the, the reaction. The, the late swings they were taking, the late movement on the breaking ball, the change up was decent, wasn't great. I do like his strikeouts. He had nine of them. Mm-hmm. All nine of them were four pitches or less. That's efficient. Absolutely. That is bing, bang, boom. It ain't bing, bang, and then we're going to nibble. Uh-uh. We're going to come right after you. We're going to. We're going to set you up. We're going to put you away quickly. That'll tell you he has lots of confidence in his mechanics. Now, also, the Yankees are struggling, and mentally you can tell they're fighting something. As a lineup, it just seems like it's it's almost like here we go again <laughs> sort of thing. But give him credit. All the things he had to do in the game, lefties were four for 12 off of him. Uh, what did he throw? He faced 28 batters. He threw 16 strike ones. That's okay. That's not great. That could be a little bit better. But that's but better than it's It's good been. enough. It's good enough. Absolutely. This is the way the standings shape up this morning after last night's game. The Yankees are still leading the AL East, but their lead is now, it's down. I hate, it sounds silly saying their lead is down to nine games, but it was what, I mean, it was 15, lot, 15 at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rays and the Jays are both 63 and 54. The Yankees are 73 and 46. 
Uh, they have three games left against the Jays in this series. In terms of the wild card race right now, Seattle is 65 and 54. They have the top spot. Tampa Bay and Toronto are tied with 63 and 54. The Minnesota Twins have won three in a row. They're 61 and 55. They're a game and a half out of the wild card spot. They're also uh, breathing down the neck of the Cleveland Guardians for first place in the Central. Baltimore's two and a half back. The uh, Chicago White Sox are three games back in the wild card race. So, well, it, uh, Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, was asked after the game last night by our friend Marley Rivera about the standings and and was he getting a little concerned? Nine games is still nine games, but it isn't 15 games. This is what Aaron Boone said after the game. It's, this is about us playing well. If we play well, that takes care of itself. Um, you know, obviously... We haven't played well enough in the last 10 days. Um, so I think it's more just a rough patch of us not playing well. We have to play better. Uh, but I don't sit there and, you know, think about this lead. Or It's about us handling our business. If we do that and play the game we're capable of playing the rest of the way, we'll be in good shape. But we got to do that. Yeah, that's basically every manager in baseball right now. We're getting at that point. Uh, it's August 19th. Yeah, everybody's scoreboard watching, but bottom line is you got to take care of your own business. And I and I think, I think if you're the Yankees, in in a lot of ways, there's two ways to look at this. One, as you said, they may have peaked too early. I mean, remember we were talking about whether or not they were going to challenge the Seattle Mariners' all-time win record. But at the same time, I would suggest what was the comment that uh, that Michael Kay had yesterday in our show, Aaron Boone's comment about. All those early wins are like putting deposits into the bank, mm-hmm. and now all these losses are withdrawal, and, yeah. and and that's that's kind of where we are with the Yankees. But Kevin, Frankie Montas is he was their big trade deadline acquisition. Aaron Boone, as much as admitted yesterday, I found this really interesting. After the game, he talked about and you know Montas having difficulty finishing pitches off, but then he made this comment about we're still trying to get him built up. Um, so, well, he's not too far removed from the shoulder issue. Yeah. For, for me, it's a couple of things with, with the Yankees. It's, and uh, by the way, I'm going to say uh, that's one of the reasons I was not when the Jays didn't get Frankie Montas. I was not as upset as uh, some okay. People. Well, the, the the this is I, again it gets back to that conversation I was having with Gibby standing around the cage, and I asked him why'd you do that. He looked right at me and says, "I do it sometimes, so I don't have to answer the question." Brian Cashman did exactly that. Well, why didn't you go out and get a big-time starter? Well, now he doesn't have to answer the question. I did go out and get him. Now it's up to my coaching staff, that player, to go out and get it done. And the Severino issue, they don't have a number two guy. They think now they do. And I think that's what the build-up issue mm-hmm. with Aaron Boone is. His stuff looked good. It's just, for whatever reason, the scouting report. <sighs> did they not get the same scouting well, report was, that everybody else got? I mean, Aaron, the Blue Jays? Aaron, Aaron's comments were... Apparently not. He talked about. Uh, he said the same thing. You did. Look, the fa- there's some nice. He threw some. The, the life and the, everything looked good with it the did. fastball for the most part. He just said it was. Unfortunately, it was in the middle of home plate. And he yeah. said he hung a splitter, but he he said he just he didn't have the finish to his pitches. He didn't have the finish to his pitches. 
that uh, that they need. I th- for me, anyway, I see. think location. You can tell a couple of times he tried to go away. A lot of the times he tried to go in, which is a head-scratcher for me. I don't have any idea why you would go in consistently against the Blue Jays hitter. That makes zero sense to me. You better get it in there. If you don't get it in there, because yeah. they, they've moved off the plate for a reason. You've done them a favor no if you que- pitch them inside. No question. Well, go out and watch everybody else that's decent enough. You don't even have to be great at it. Decent enough that can locate somewhat two different pitches away to a bunch of right-handed hitters. And again, I, I said this to you on our show yesterday. It'd be interesting to see Frankie Montas's first start against a good lineup in Yankee Stadium with that little short porch mm-hmm. ride against a bunch of right-handed hitters. Will he be buying into nothing but away pitches? Well, we know the answer. But for the Yankees, for me, Stan seems to be a big loss for them. I mean, he isn't. Uh, he's a far removed MVP, but it just seems like him and judge feed off of each other. When that guy's doing it, I want to do better. When mm-hmm. that guy's doing better than me, I want to do better than him. They sort of feed off it. And now with no Stanton in the, in the lineup, you can nibble that judge. You can pitch backwards to him. You can elevate to him. Will he chase it? If I walk him, so what? I'd rather pitch to that guy than I would the other guy. So it's, that's a big deal. And the role is Chapman. How do they get that fixed? Again, I've talked to you a lot about this, and we've had this conversation. Good teams need no-brainers. All of a sudden, they don't have no-brainers. Because no. there's some unknowns with Chapman. Well, he's good in the seventh well, and eighth inning, but can he do it in the ninth inning? Because now he looks like he gets tighter, he overthrows, they don't he's have not Michael competitive King. pitches. They, they don't have, uh, they don't have uh, uh, Chad Green. They haven't had him. Yeah. And now Clay Holmes is out. Clay Holmes for the longest time. Clay Holmes and Michael Kane were or Michael King were your no brainers. No question. They were your no brainers. Well, it make any manager look really good, right? I got I got the eighth and ninth inning taken care of, and now all I have to worry about is, you know, bridging at the sixth and maybe the seventh inning. And now all of a sudden you got to worry about the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. So mm-hmm. you're mixing and matching. Well, welcome to John Snyder's world. So it's that sort of thing, right? And I know what he said. He's a good talker. He's like John is. They're good talkers. But if you read between the lines, I say the Yankees are in trouble, but they got to get some things straightened out. Yeah, and they did not play well defensively uh, yesterday. Andrew Benintendi did not have a good game through. I, I have no idea letting. I mean, letting Alejandro Kirk sneak into second base ought to be a ought to be a. I mean, that just can't happen. Uh, they had he had another play with with him and Oswaldo Cabrera where Cabrera was in the wrong position. The cutoff it cost them an extra base, and then uh, Cabrera with that 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 attempted that little flick out of the glove on what could have been a double play ball kept the inning alive. Yeah, see, I didn't have an issue with that. You know, it's a young guy playing a position. Aaron you know, Boone clearly spin. had an issue with it. I, though. I get it. Like it's an out's an out for me. I mean, maybe you would love to him to transfer it to his hand, give a little firmer That's toss. To, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, the we we haven't. I know we're talking about the Yankees there, yeah. but did you see Jordan Romano wind up? Yeah. Why? Okay, I ask. Okay, good. I ask why, and I got the answer to okay. why that is. Heath, Let, Heath, go okay, ahead. Okay, go ahead. Well, no, you want to set anything up with that? Well, no, in the ninth, Jordan Romano, we'll set up the scene. Jordan Romano pitched in the ninth inning last night. He hadn't pitched since Saturday, so it's an opportunity to get out, kind of a non-pressure situation, 9-2, let him work in some things, not work in some things, but just let him get his feet wet. He got out there, and he hit, first of all, he hit 99. And saw 100 once to I saw yeah there was 100 once mm-hmm. 100 I th- anyhow 100 I don't know what the stadium gun said 100 the TV thing whatever 199 let's let's give him 100 there were different because we're feeling 
Yeah, I, I have no idea. But he also, he did this weird thing where he, it was almost like a Statue of Liberty. He took the ball and he held it over his head. And DJ LeMahieu at one point kind of stepped out because obviously Romano hasn't done this before. Yeah. So he he went to the windup. Mm-hmm. And I had, I don't know if he did it earlier in the game. I don't know if he only did it once. One time. Okay, explain that. Well, I was still because I, I asked. Yeah. I, I didn't really know why the the holding the hand up. I mean, he's corky. He's a, he's a closer. They do weird things. Like it's it was the Statue of Liberty. Saw, yeah, you know, look up here, and then I'm, up there. There. I'm not going to throw from up there. But you can look up there all you want. For me, when I asked the question, right. because it's odd and it's not something we've seen before, I he I was told that he thinks he throws harder. And he probably won't do that a lot when it matters. Like a one-run game, Yankee State, probably not going to do that. But it's 9-2. to two. It's a good chance to work on something like that. So he feels like, him personally, mm-hmm. that he throws harder out of the windup. That's can why I, you saw him do it. Can I ask an obvious question then? Yeah. Why hasn't he done this before? Uh, it's a, I'm, I'm sure this is, I'm sure, it has something to do with being able to throw strikes consistently okay. with it. Because it's outside the norm. There's a lot going on. You know, it takes a little bit more effort to work on it in the pen. It's a mental thing. I got to think about it now. Well, and also, when push comes to shove, I don't be no thinking. I want to throw as hard as I can and throw my slider as much as I can. Can So I I would think that's why. Can I throw out a conspiracy theory then? Hmm. We have asked on several occasions why there have been so many gaps between Jordan Romano's outings. Not so much now, but remember earlier in the year. could it be that they've been working on this and yeah, it's, yeah, I don't a, it's, think, a, it's a gradual thing? I don't think it's they. I think it's him. It's him. He just thinks he's... Okay. You know, so this I, isn't like an organizational thing. No, We're going to give you a wind far, up. As far as I know, I mean... It may, it's again, fascinating. I, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not poking yeah. that much at it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, it's it's, it, it intrigues me because I saw it and he threw a strike with it. Yeah. And I think it was with two strikes to, to uh, DJ LeMayhew which is odd. You're trying to give it to a good hitter with a big lead. You know, if you get hit and it's a it's a hit and you yeah. throw it down the middle or something, you probably wouldn't do it again when it matters the most. So it's, you know. You've also, I'll tell you, that's a hell of a seed to plant in the mind of the Yankees. Sure. I Again, as as a hitter, I'm not sure how that would throw you off, wouldn't throw me off. Even if, even no, if you had it's faced not a, guy, It wasn't a corky. Like, it was a okay. smooth, right. out in front, release points, not any different. Like, he's not. Like, oh, like it, it's not a quick pitch or anything. Okay. Like, it's not going to surprise the heck out of you. And all of a sudden, you're you're taking some odd swing because of it. It's more about Jordan Romano than it is deception or just he thinks he throws harder. If he thinks he throws harder, why not do it? If he can throw strikes with it, more power to you, buddy. They uh, used Yusei Kikuchi out of the bullpen yesterday as well. Uh, predictably, Yusei Kikuchi came in, walked the batter in four pitches, gave up a single what to Josh What did you think Donaldson. after he did that? I I said, I said it on social media. I tweeted out, Jesus, man. And then he strikes out Benintendi, gets Torres to fly out, strikes out Cabrera. And everybody in the dugout's happy. The question had been asked, how do you use Yusei Kikuchi out of the bullpen? He'd be my guy when I have a 9-2 lead in, the, in, in a game. Okay. I, but but I, I also want to say this, though, because there is the Jays don't have a left-hander in the bullpen right now. Both you and I have uh, talked uh, about it. it would be interesting. How many dudes they got throw 97? That they don't have too many guys to throw 97. How about that? But the other thing is we've talked about what, what would you say Kikuchi look like if you just said to him, splitter, fastball. 
nothing else. I mean, there are guys who've made a living out of the bullpens. Anyway, my my point is Mm. that that's why I've been saying all along that he's got to be out of the rotation. He's got to be in the bullpen. I don't care about the contract. Well, you don't, but you know they did. They did. When's the last time you say Kikuchi's come out of a game and the and the dugout and the team was electric? Like that dugout when he came out of the game? Well, they were kicking, the, they were popular, kicking the Yankees' sure, butt. But so he's clearly helped. a popular guy, too. Well, uh, yeah, I I mean, yeah, they root for him. He, is, he tries really hard. Yeah. It's, not, it's not lack of effort. Like he's doing everything possible to maintain velocity and, and locate secondary pitches. Just he's having a bad – it's like Bo Bichette. Every once in a while, you just got one of them years. You made well, that, you ain't getting it done. You made that point last night, and it may just be time to kind of leave Bo alone and just think No that, question. Yeah, maybe he's just having a crap year. And crap, you know what? Strong, it crap, strong. I mean, he's still, what is it, 260? And uh, he's just, uh, he's okay. Like, it's an okay year. It's but not it's, a bad year. It's not a great year. It's an okay year. It's like, one of those years that guys that guys sometimes have. I, absolutely. And I think you you mentioned that last night. I was thinking about it when we finished Blue Jays talk last night. And I just kind of went back and looked at my scorebook and looked through some of the games. And you know what? It looks like one of those years. It, does. I, it, it just looks like it looks like one of those years where nothing's. Nothing's falling, and yeah, it might be. You know, this might have been, and this might have been part of. I'm sure it's part of John Schneider's thinking. Leave him, leave him in the seventh spot or wherever he is, and let's just why why I say that. In in his last seven games, he's six for twenty five. In his last fifteen games, he's sixteen for sixty. That's two forty. That's two sixty seven. It's just. It it's is what it gra- is. It's not great. It's not awful. It's just, yeah, you know and, what you're going to Occasionally, he, he's going to run into one. And he's playing pretty good defense. He, he's he's not letting his offensive woes carry over to the defensive side most of the time. Mm-hmm. He's still learning all the things that go into being an everyday shortstop. But do you really have to worry about him defensively? No. Not really. So, I just – because the only reason I say that is because I've done it. I've been – I've had years where – Everything you do off the field, it's just a man. I mean, that uh, that it that happens, hitting man. coach can talk to me till he's blue in the face, and then it just finally gets to the point where I see his lips moving, and I'm just tired of seeing him move. Just go away from me. I'm going to try my best, and we'll we'll do what we can do at the end of the season. But I think his manager's done him a favor by moving him down the order. We'll have uh, Jonathan Papelbon in a few minutes, uh, but before we take the break, I did want to focus a little more on George Springer because I feel like we've given him short shrift here. Uh, He's the second Blue Jays player to have five hits in a game against the Yankees. The first one was Roy Howell in 1977. He is, this I found kind of cool just because of the names involved, uh, thanks to the Yankees game notes. The last leadoff hitter to go five for five against the Yankees was Ozzie Guillen in 1987 when he was with the Chicago White Sox. The last leadoff hitter with five hits, the difference five hits, was Stan Javier, Stan Javier, who was five for six with the Seattle Mariners in 2000. So that's, I mean, it's no surprise. We talked about George Springer, the table setter. And I've said, Kevin, I know yesterday Shai Davidi reported George Springer's up throwing to 120 feet. Just stop. Put the tape measure away. Put the put the glove away. Just let George Springer hit. Well, just, you know, uh, you know there's a lot hit. more thought into that because of what do you do with Kirky? Well, this and is, they feel like they have to have Kirky playing more times than not. 
you know, maybe. So how do you do it? I mean, Kev, can maybe. He? That's a good. Okay, we can say it. Well, you I have to. Can he? Can he play? What's there? Forty-five games left. Can he play? Man, hit thirty-eight of them. Those, those, those. That that double he hit last night. Like, I mean, it's a split finger. But uh, again, oh. the 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 George Springer thing. You look at Frankie Montas. That's this is why I laugh. I roll my eyes when say Matt Chapman or you know I like Tapia leading off. I, I he's frisky. He's hard to pitch to because he's very aggressive. You got to be careful where you throw him. Mm-hmm. I sort of like him. He's hitting over three fifty leading off. So if anybody was going to do it, I would like him to do it. But you just see Frankie Montas threw him ninety seven. He gets a head out and hits a double. Now he didn't score in the first inning, his first at bat. But it's just that thing of, holy moly. I make a good pitch, it's 97, and this dude just, with ease, effortless. Because he's got the strongest hands on planet Earth where he can lose his lower half and have a little fanny out and just let the barrel, because his hands are so strong, just sort of pow, like yuck, and just do the things with velocity that he does in all parts of the strikes on It's it's demoralizing for a starting pitcher. You see Frankie Montas. Now, I know they didn't score, obviously, because Flatty didn't have a good at bat, even moving him over and all those things. But it's just a fact of, okay, I'd rather face Chapman. You want to lead him all? I appreciate that. <laughs> like, I mean, what's he eight for his last 54? He's one for five last night. I, th- I think, though, that, listen, I understand the Chapman thing. It's, you do? It's, it's not going to be a well, regular. My, you might be one of the only no, ones. No, I, I understand. Look, you might they, be one of the only ones. No. Listen, I don't. It, it's it's simply the guy sees the guy sees a lot of pitches. Six and, pitch and outs and out, ain't it? Yeah, well, yeah, but you know what? There's also we talk about. There's something to be said about that guy in the on deck circle yeah, getting to getting to look say, at the pitcher. I would say that April, May. Look, I would say that not, end of May. It's, it's not it's a August. preferred. It, clearly, it's not a preferred option. And we don't know when George Springer. I mean, we don't know what went into that process. Maybe George Springer felt good and he was going to be in the lineup originally, and then he didn't feel good. I mean, we just. We just don't know. But the the I, you know, Matt Chapman's not going to be in the leadoff spot in a regular basis. They tried something. It didn't work. You know, the question now is, how do you, this is the only question with this lineup, is how do you get, keep Springer healthy and keep Kirk's bat in the lineup? You know how you keep Springer healthy? DH him every day. He's got five off days. He's got five off days coming up. Then what do you do? Okay. Oh, I worry uh, about, who's better hitter? Springer or Kirk? Right. Okay. But then what do you... There's okay. your answer. All right. I mean, I you sometimes you can't overthink it. Like, it is what it is. I, he's, he makes $150 million for a reason. He's fair. really, really good. And we want him to be the best hitter on our team in September and going into October. The only way he's going to do that for me anyway is to play. That's why it's a tough look. When you have the 10 days off and then you DH two days, and because it's a day game after a night game, and it's not even really a day game. It was a 307 game. Mm-hmm. Oh, what am I know? What I know? Uh, Jonathan Palpabon is the former MLB closer. He's actually in Toronto for the Queen's Plate. Uh, he's also host of the whole podcast. Jonathan Palpabon joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. 
Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoying his birthday off today. Happy 15th. Happy 15th, Waffle. <laughs> Austin Mackey doing uh, a fine job filling in for Waffle. Uh, He's a one-man show today. He's also doing the board with Lance gone. It's a lot of work. Yeah. The Queen's Plate goes this weekend. You a horse racing guy? Uh, I, you know... I never had enough nerve because of how hard I had to work for my money and places I had to go to actually go there. Because if I went, I would go with buddies that, right, you know, had good seats and could get you in places and that like to spend a little money on that. And so, not really. I don't know if it's a thing anymore, but I used to go to the dog track a lot in spring training because so it's not far Florida. away from from. Uh, do, no. do you remember what the name of it is? Because there's quite Flag, a few people there's that do Flag that. Flagler Downs, I believe. And, and we used to go to one. We used to go to the Palm Beach Kennel Club when the Expos trained in Palm Beach. We go to the Palm Beach Kennel Club. Two things I used to go see in Florida in spring training were dog races and High Lie. used to go up to Fort Pierce. I love High Lie. Now I haven't seen it for a dog's age. Get See the dog's oh, age? Do do? I haven't seen it for a dog's age. But High Lie's terrific. Huh. It's crooked as all hell. Yeah. But which uh, one's more fun, a horse race or a dog race? I prefer the dog race. Why? That's just me. Why? Um, because there ain't no human on top. Ah, I guess a good answer. It's I a guess. doggy. Yeah. Anyhow, the reason I mention that is Jonathan Papelbon joins us. He's a uh, former uh, closer and uh, host of the whole podcast. And Mr. Papelbon, I believe you're in Tro- you're in Toronto for the Queen's Plate. Are are you a uh, you must you must own some horses then, or have part ownership in it? Yeah, well, um, the guy that I'm doing my uh, podcast with now does, and um, I'm actually going there with my wife for our very first uh, horse race. Nice. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm really pumped up about it, and um, I, you know, it's the oldest horse race there is, and so I figured, you know, why not take this opportunity and uh, see what it's all about, and. Yeah, so we're headed up there for sure. Oh, that'll be fine. I mean, it's a it's quite an event. I mean, people the the, the women get get dolled up, up, right? There's a whole thing with hats and everything. It's mm-hmm. a, it's actually oh yeah, it is it is a it is a cool day out, and we hope uh, we hope you enjoy it. It looks like you're gonna get should get good weather for it. I don't think there's gonna be any looks any like uh, any bad weather this weekend. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, have fun. Yeah, it's, it's looking really nice. Um. So we, we, it's funny, we, we had, had arranged to have you on before last night, and uh, Barker and I noticed something in last night's game against the Yankees, and you are the perfect guy to ask about it. Now, and it was one pitch, but Jordan Romano, who has gone through a bunch of changes as closer, I mean, he used to do that sort of Ken Giles thing where he would almost sit in the ground, mm-hmm. and, and then, uh, and I know other guys have done that as well. He changed that. Last night, he just threw a windup in for one pitch, and that was it. It was a pitch at the end of the, near the end of the game. You're winning nine two, uh, and and through ninety nine. And we found out since that one of the reasons he likes the windup is he thinks that 
makes him throw harder. Now, there's no indication that he's going to, the next time he comes out, he's going to do it. I don't know, Jordan Romano. He could do it every pitch the next time he comes out, or he may never do it again until September 19th. I, I wanted to ask you as a closer, though, how often did you fiddle around with stuff in season? You know, even even just maybe one or two pitches. How often did you do that? I fiddled around just like he did when uh, we were kicking somebody's ass and the score was high. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> other than that – other than that, man, if it was a close game, I went with the old bread and butter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, he's playing the Yankees, and the Yankees haven't been doing very well, and I know you've been paying attention to that. What What are you seeing with the Yankees? And, you know, I've been telling Jeff that it just seemed like they may have peaked a little too soon in the year. You know, you played your best games, and it's hard to do that in the yeah. entire season. Is that what you're seeing, or are you seeing something different with the Yankees? I, I think you hit the nail on the head, but they also have a chance to start peaking again. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to peak too early. You don't want to peak too late. Um, you know, you, it, the goal is to have everybody healthy and um, get everybody ready and, and getting hot and swinging the bats well and throwing strikes as you go into playoffs. Um, you know, and, and we talked about this on my podcast, Blackjack and Pap, with the Yankees. Man, they don't seem to have very much uh, – your leadership right now and, and, the, and the way they're going about it and, and carrying on throughout this, you know, towards the end of this season, somebody's got to step up and say, Hey, listen, we're going in the wrong direction. Maybe a players only meeting and let's turn this thing around. And so, um, you know, I don't know who that would be, but I think that's what needs to happen with them. Sure. Well, you also you look at their bullpen. A roll of Chapman's sort of been up and down. Up and down means seventh inning, eighth inning, and now all of a sudden he's being thrust back into the ninth inning role. Mindset wise, you know the closers are are odd people. They got to be odd to pitch in that inning, high leverage yeah, all the we're time. All whacked out, Absolutely. Man. But how hard is it to go? You know, he knows what's going on. He sees what's around, right? They're playing, yeah. trying to play the hot hand with, with Clay Holmes, and now Clay Holmes is not doing that, and now you're being thrust back in. Just the mindset-wise, is that a hard thing to do when you've been so successful in the ninth inning, and now you've been canned from that inning, and that was the seventh or eighth inning, and now they want you back in the ninth inning? Is that a tough thing to do? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great point. But, you know, for me, I never really struggled with that. If I if I was, you know, kind of struggling during the season, usually a bottle of wine or a case of beer <laughs> took care of that for me. You know, but, um, you know, you're not going to be successful in the postseason without a closer. Nope. That's a fact. You go, back, you go back and look at all the teams that have won World Series. They have had a stopper at the end. And so if you don't have that, it's going to be a tough, tough postseason for you. How hard is it, uh, uh, Jonathan, for a for a closer to get on a roll late in the year? You know what I mean? Like to uh, because there have been guys who've been you know, had just had had great years and it from opening day to the to yeah, the well, final the game. But up. yeah, how hard is it though to kind of in August and September get on one of those rolls? You know, I, I think that, you know, like we were saying earlier, if you try to do, to do stuff that you have not been doing all year long that makes you successful, um, it's going to make that a, a lot harder for your closer to be prepared and ready through the season. So, um, you know, I think a big, I think a big part of uh, a big part of it is, you know, going into the postseason confident and going into the postseason. Um, 
you know, throwing strikes and, 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 and making sure the rest of the bullpen is, is also doing that. You know, um, a closer is, is nobody without the guys in front of them. But at the end of the day, the team is nobody without the closer because if you don't have a stopper at the end of the game, you're always going to give the other team a chance to kind of sneak back in that game. Mm. Jonathan, do you think that the Blue Jays season so far has been a disappointment? No, I don't. I don't. I do not think their season has been a disappointment. I think they've had a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, the American League East is pretty much the only division that I watch. You know, I do watch a few other games and, and, and you know, some Dodgers games and some NL games. But the um, the American League East, to me, is the premier division. It's the toughest division and if you can compete in the American League East, you can compete in any division, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, Toronto is in a tough spot. The Orioles in a tough spot. But look, I mean, you know, that's what baseball is about. You have uh, right now you have the Orioles and, and the Blue Jays pretty much fighting for that wild card spot, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tampa. So – well, in Tampa, you know, I don't like Tampa's chance. I don't like their chances. I, I, I think, you know, it's going to boil down to the Orioles and the Blue Jays. Hmm. Um, you know, I think the Orioles have done a good job. I mean, the Blue Jays have done a good job. But I think the key for the, uh, for the Blue Jays to continue to be successful is you've got Bichette, you've got Vladdy, um, and you've got, to, you've got to build your team around those main guys, okay? Don't pull Anaheim Angels where you have an Otani, an MVP, a Mike Trout, and they're never making plus, and you're ruining that talent, and, you, and you're not around them. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, they just got to stick to the process and continue, um, you know, doing what they – it's not easy. It's not easy to compete. You know, now the Red Sox are, you know, the bottom of the barrel this year, but that those years have been few and far between here lately, but – it's a constant battle year in and year out. And, you know, the front office has to do their job and the players on the field have to do their job for the Blue Jays in order for the entire organization to be successful. I need you to help me out with something. You, you were a hard thrower. And, you know, every time you talk about bullpens in 2022, it's about how many hard throwers you got. That's going to help in, in a marathon season. And explain to us how that helps a pitcher this time of the season get through that marathon of trying to make the playoffs. If you're a hard thrower at the back end of a bullpen. Okay. Well, the different, the difference between your soft throwers and your hard throwers. So for me, I knew that I could stick in the major leagues and be, and have a career in the major leagues. The day that I realized that when I knew the hitter knew I, that I was throwing a fastball. I knew I was throwing a fastball, and everybody in the stadium knew I was throwing a fastball, and yet I could still throw it by him, okay? And and those are the counts where you're behind as a pitcher, and you could pretty much – everybody knows what's coming, but you could still throw it by him. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, that makes it a whole lot easier to stay successful and continue to be successful throughout the entire season. Now, your soft throwers, they, they don't have that opportunity. And so I think that is why every 
GM and every coach wants all the hard throwers these days. But, you know, location is, is, is a lost art now. I mean, you know, it's – it's um. You don't see it anymore. Whereas, you know, when I was coming up, guys like Kurt Schilling, they they all threw hard, but preached and preached and preached location, location, location. So, um, you know, it's part of the game changing as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the – it's funny. You mentioned Bo Bichette, and and one of the things Kevin and I have been tossing around, I mean, Bo is now hitting – well, he was hitting sixth yesterday, but they've moved him down to seventh. Uh, He's played well defensively. His numbers aren't that great. And, and Kevin mentioned something the other day. He said, you know, maybe Bo's just, maybe he's just having an off year. And that's it. It happens. Guys have off years and, and they're better than next year. What would tell you, or, or when you watched a guy and, and a guy was scuffling, what would tell you that it was just, you know, quote unquote, one of those years? And that, uh, hey, you just, you take what you can get and try to play as many games as you can. Hopefully someone else picks them up. And then next year you come back and you're going to get the guy you used to get. Okay, well, to me, this is it boils down to this, okay? I think Bichette is a victim, of, and every athlete does this, presses. I think he's pressing right now. Um, you know, the race is on for the wild card spot, and sometimes when players kind of go into a slump, you either say, you know what, I'm going to go back to the things that got me here. I'm going to go back to the things that I know – I can do well and not try to do things that, you know, I'm not comfortable doing. And so I think when players press is when you start to see um, the stats go down, the the uncomfortability on the field and in the batter's box. Um, You know, when I was pitching, you know, you know, people used to say, say, oh, why are you staring down the hitters? You're trying to intimidate. No, I'm not trying to intimidate trying to look into that hitter to see where he's at. Like, is he pressing? Is, is, is he trying to do something? You know, he, he, and so it, for me, it was trying to gain Intel. And so, um, you know, when I watch him play, I, I, I see somebody who's just kind of pressing a little bit too much, you know, and we're all victims. Every athlete wants to press and do better, but you know, for him, uh, I think it's back to his, the things that he knows he does well. Um, and, and look, let's be honest. He's going to have a long career. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a great player. Um, but sometimes that's what we do. We press and we get out of our comfort zone. Last question before we let you go. When I say the name Fernando Tatis Jr., first thing come to your mind is what? Well, cheater. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um. We're all trying, you know, look, pitchers cheat, hitters cheat, pine tar. I mean, you name it. And it's not just in baseball. You know, I mean, you look at the Chicago Black Sox in the 1800s, they cheated, you know. I mean, it, it's part of the game. I get it, you know. Um, but, you know, Tom Brady, they cheated with the deflating the balls. I mean, it goes on and on and on, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, the way I feel about it is, you know what? Hold, don't try to come come up with all these excuses. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. nobody, none of the fans 
for excuses. When you mess up, and believe me, I messed up. I'm not perfect. Look, I mean, I, I messed up in front of the world, and, and I'm not happy about it. It didn't go over well. Believe me. But you know what? I, apologize. I, I called the team meeting as soon as it happened, and, you know, I apologized on my behalf, and I, I asked anybody else to step up and say something. If they had anything else to say, let's, let's get it all out on the table, and, and let's get through this. And – you know, I just I don't see that happening, mm. and I, all I all, all all we hear are excuses, right? I mean, unless uh, have y'all heard anything else? No, nope. I th- you 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 made a point that something that I was thinking about last night when you know there was a report that he was meeting with AJ Preller, uh, the the Padres GM, not at the ballpark but an undisclosed location. Jonathan, this thing's been out there for almost a, for almost four days, five days, uh, as far Too long. as. As far as I know, he hasn't met with his teammates. Like, this is the thing. This is the thing that bothers me about this is, uh, you know, I look, okay, the, yeah, the excuse, whatever. You know, we can all roll our eyes. Some people are going to believe him. Most people aren't, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody, get your message together. That's why the whole thing with Pedro and Ortiz kind of bothered me. Everybody, get on the same page. Okay, let's get on the same page. Yeah. Let's address it as soon as you can. Talk to your teammates. Clear the air. Let, it, let everybody have their say. And then go away and then come back when yeah. when your suspension's over. That's what bothers me is the fact that this has been allowed to just go on. And and that never yeah, works. So- Jonathan, you know that in life. That never works. You got an issue, you deal with it head on. If you let it go on, it's not gonna work. It's gonna get worse. No question. No qu- and look, like here's and I said this on my real uh, on my on my Twitter, which you, know, you all check that out. The real JPAP five eight. But and also on Blackjack and Pap on the podcast. But like, here's the thing, man. If I it happens throughout all life. If I go in there and my wife asks me to do something in the house and I try to BS her, she yeah. thinks she's gonna take that. No, the fans are the same way, dude. And the thing about it is, you look at all the guys that did you know steroids in the past. The ones that were upfront, honest, apologized, and said, I'm going to do everything I can to make this make up for this, they've moved on. Shoot, some of them are still in baseball. Some of them are still shooting commercials. Yep. Andy Pettit, there yep. you go. Perfect guy. So, yes, exactly. So, to me, don't give me the BS ringworm. Don't give me the BS with mommy and daddy stepping in, and then daddy's got a whole nother situation. Oh, it was lotion, not a ringworm. Like, everybody's contradicting themselves. Uh, it's become a total mess when this could have been handled in one or two days. Yeah. And you look, and here's the big, big, big thing for me, guys. The interviews with the teammates. All of them have said, he ain't been here. We don't need him. We've mm-hmm. gotten here without him. Yeah. I mean, so for the guy to not only be getting in motorcycle wrecks the year before, not even be with the team and doing steroids the very following year, I mean, to me, if I'm A.J. Preller, I don't give a damn. I'm trying to get rid of this guy. Yeah. Because to me, my teammates have already been on the record by saying we don't need them. Yeah. I mean, that to me speaks more volume than anything else. 
because those are the guys you're going to work with every day. And, and, and to me, like, you know, quit all the BS. Um, and, and, and here's another thing, man. I worked my ass off my whole career, never did steroids, never failed a drug test, and took pride in that. Yeah. And took pride in that my teammates knew how hard I worked, knew that when we were on the field, this is how we're going to play ball. And that was the problem with me and Bryce is, is, is the way he played ball in the field didn't jive with the way I played ball in the field. And, you know, we had a conversation prior to it, and then the very next day it spilled over to where, you know, the conversation we had didn't exactly go together the way you're playing. So I had a problem with that. And then, you know, it it all, but to me, man, like this is all absolutely unnecessary. This all will absolutely crush the Padres organization. All the players are having to answer questions about it every freaking day. And this just, to me, ensures that they're still going to be, be the little redheaded stepchild to the Dodgers. <laughs> and it's going to continue to be that way. When they're trying to get past them, it ain't happening. I'm sorry. It ain't happening. Jonathan, really good of you to join us today, man. Great Terrific stuff. insight. Great stuff. Hey, enjoy the Queen's yeah, plate. Have fun. Hey, man. Even if uh, y'all don't like the dogs or the uh, horses or any kind of racing, man, we'll be out there. If I see y'all, come holler at me. I'll buy y'all a drink. Nice. All righty. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Be well. Okay, man. Y'all check me out on my podcast, Black Jack and Pat, now. We will. (laughs) We will, man. Be well. Jonathan Powell Vaughn. Black Jack and Pap, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, Man does have opinions. Absolutely. You have to. Yeah, he's been he's been enough clubhouses to know how he he was very critical about Tatis and said he'd basically throw at him every at bat, Um, and and, you know like I I got something going up in Sportsnet.ca the Tatis thing is 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 important for baseball because finally it appeared as if we were getting away from steroids you know Bonds and Clemens are off the Hall of Fame ballot all that stuff and now you got this thing and whether. It's just, it's silly. It, it could have been handled so much better. First of all, he shouldn't have done it. And it could have been handled so much better if uh, if everybody just got in the same page. Um, Jeff Passan will join us. Sweeney Murdy as well. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast.